Friday Celtics podcast and we are when we're here uh, once a week on CLNS we are powered by prize picks the exclusive daily fantasy partner of the CLNS media network but all other days you can find us on our patreon patreon.com slash still potable for that elite Monday through Friday Celtics content we got the kids we got the legends we got the gods we got a wonderful Celtics community brewing over there on the patreon so if you like what you hear here on the CLNS, the free version, please join us over on the Patreon because it's going to be a very fun rest of the season. I don't know if Jay and B-Rob are kind of aware of this, but the Celtics are the best team in basketball, and so they're going to do some fun things as they enter the playoffs. I would say there's championship expectations here, and for this free episode of the podcast, we're going to do a little something we like to call the potable six-pack. That is where we draft these six most interesting, most cromulent, most important things that are just going on in the Celtics universe right now. The six things that we want to talk about. I am, I think, nine and one uh, this year on potable six packs. It's been a it's while a record. since we've won them. I do keep score um, and I do choose the order. We did a snake draft. I'm going to go J. Me, then B-Rob will snake back around. B-Rob, me, Jay. Jay, first pick in the potable snake draft. Potable snake draft. Potable six-pack. What do you want to talk about? I'm going with Jason Tatum's MVP candidacy. Ooh. I, I, don't know, I, I don't know when it became a, a discussion. He was not on the top five of Tim Bontemps' draw poll. And then all of a sudden... It seemed like everyone was talking about whether Jason Tatum should be the MVP. Stephen A. Smith has gone on. I think he's the key. He's the real catalyst to drive this. Thing. He's gone on many, many rants now about how Tatum should be considered the number one, about how the way he's playing for a team that's seven and a half games up in the Eastern Conference, the award should be his to lose. And then Draymond Green went on his podcast and say, said the goalposts are moving for Jason Tatum and that other guys aren't judged the same way he is and that because he got to the finals and didn't play well there, Draymond was kind of tipping his own cap there a little bit. Because we dominated Jason Tatum, he gets judged differently. Yeah, and so I don't know where it came from. I don't think Jason Tatum should be strongly considered as an MVP candidate just because there are other guys having just insanely special seasons, just because the Celtics without Jason Tatum would function just fine. And all the other guys in the MVP discussion probably don't have that type of team around them. 
but Tatum's had a great year, and uh, it's kind of cracked me up to see this this Jason Tatum MVP talk just kind of spin up like a tornado out of nowhere. B-Rob, do you think he's the MVP? No. This, this has gotten <laughs> out of control. This is – we need some games. We need some things going on. Things got slow during the All-Star break. Jason Tatum's having a fantastic year. Um, he will get probably – respectable amount of MVP votes for me finished fifth, sixth overall, but it's just not, it's not going to happen for him this year. And that's, that's fine. But the, the fact that there has become so much of a, a narrative around it now is, is bizarre. I guess it's like, there's nothing else to really talk or complain about with this Celtics team. So like that's organically, you, you people are going to that part of it. Um, and it's a fight against the nerds too. It is. It's a fight against the nerds. It's like, take your EPM, Take your VORP and shove it straight up your ass because Jason Tatum is the best player on the best team in basketball. End of discussion. That's how MVPs sometimes were won back in the day. Who's the best player on the best team? And in Jason Tatum's case, the Celtics have been way better than the second best team in the league. And so some people are saying that he should be the MVP now. And it is. It's, it's, it's in some ways a fight against the nerds. They are waging war against against the stat lovers, against the analytics heads, against the people who think that VORP is the end-all, be-all. Uh, as a nerd, I'm going to have to say, <laughs> I, I also don't think Jason Tatum's the MVP, but I don't think they should want – I don't think Jason Tatum should want to be the MVP. Here's my cockamamie scheme. The Celtics are that much better of a team this year and it really is because I've been Missoula pilled. I'm defining success in different ways. Jason Tatum is not averaging 30 points a game. Jason Tatum's not going to be the dominant scorer. But the team, I think, is working so well because they're playing, I think, fantastic team basketball and just moving the ball well. There's a reason why they have the best offense in the league. And I think it's because Jason Tatum has been willing to take a step back and I guess sacrifice some of his individual stats. We go back to the win against the Knicks on uh, Saturday night. Jason Tatum only has 19 points, but that is the Celtics absolutely dominating the third quarter, moving the basketball, generating a bunch of open threes. And I think that is better for the Celtics moving forward in terms of their championship potential. And it really genuinely feels like maybe a Tatum, a younger Tatum, would have been more focused on individual accolades. I, he certainly in the past has been a guy who's just going to go out and try and get his 50 points. But I feel like consistently from the start of this year and every time he's been asked this entire season what his focus is, it's been on winning the championship. And so I think the struggles of him losing in the finals and then losing in the conference finals last year really probably uh, hurt and it really sucked for him and Jalen Brown. And they feel like they're very much bought into the only goal this season is the championship. So who cares about the MVP talk? We'll let Stephen A. Smith, who's really the catalyst behind everything here, have that discussion. Uh, but I don't. I genuinely think it doesn't matter to Jason Tatum, which I think is a good sign for the Celtics. It's, it doesn't matter to him at all, and he's given them what they've needed. They don't need someone to run heliocentric offense. They're, what separates them from the rest of the league is that they have a bunch of guys who can run offense, a bunch of guys who can take advantage of mismatches, a bunch of guys who can do their own thing. And so, and Tatum recognizes that. And I think that's been part of his growth as a player 
is like when Jalen Brown gets it going, let me take a step back. Let me let him rock out a little bit. When Kristaps Porzingis gets a matchup, let me just back it out, throw it in the post, and let him go to work. And that's all the stuff that that's really important. And part of that is trusting in your teammates, which which those guys have built up with Tatum. But I think it's also a big sign of his maturity that he's been willing to take that step back and allow other guys to flourish and let everybody stay in good rhythm the entire season. The whole team is in rhythm. The whole team has been in rhythm. And and that's in large part because Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, even Drew Holiday, and Chris Asporzingis, those guys have all bought into the team concept. It's not about just them as individuals. It's not about chasing awards. And and that's been like top to bottom this whole team. That's that's really defined them so far. And and it needs to stay that way. But it is funny that Stephen A. Smith just kind of hijacked the entire conversation. He's like, nobody's talking about Jason Tatum. We're going to make it about Jason Tatum, boys. Is there a win total for the Celtics that will get him legitimately in this discussion, as well as obviously maybe some 70. timely injuries? Yeah, <laughs> no. 70. 70. If, they get, if they get to 70 wins, he wins MVP. He has to by default. Uh, <laughs> He's not getting there. He's just not. They would have to win also every game the rest of the way. To get to yeah, that'd be pretty point. fucking impressive, Jay. <laughs> I'll do it. I guess, I guess 30, 36 game winning streak down the year. That'd be that'd be something. Um, but even like say, I guess if Denver finishes and okay, I guess those teams would have to fade a lot, I think, and the Celtics would have to finish well with like 65 plus wins, and then it's still not enough, but it's like okay, like this has to be like maybe a chance at top three at that point. Whereas right he's now, got to avoid like any of those guys in front of him going on a, a rush. Like if, if Luka Doncic continues his averages and the Mavericks get to like the third seed, he's he's going to be a prime candidate. Jokic, prime candidate. Shea, like he kind of needs those guys to fall back a little bit or at least be relatively average and, and for him to have a, a huge last 25 games as the Celtics do too. I think if they win over 65 games and win the Eastern Conference by more than 10 games, that'd be impressive. I still don't think he would be the MVP. I but like I was trying to come <laughs> up with a scenario where it's just like I, I genuinely think because the way the award is, because you can kind of isolate with the nerdy analytics, the individual impact of each player, the Celtics are so good as a cohesive unit that it's just like it's it's not best player, best team anymore. Like he is the best player on the best team, but they're getting such good contributions from everyone else that I, even if they won 70 games, I still think he'd lose. And and it shouldn't count against your candidacy, how your team plays without you. But in his case, I think it does because the Celtics without Jason Tatum would have the best net rating in basketball. Like if he hadn't played a single minute this year and all we counted was the other minutes, they would have the best net rating in basketball, which is insane and is not like it has been in the past, but they're loaded and top to bottom, their whole rotation has not skipped a beat regardless of who's on the court. And so it's clear Tatum is their best player. It's clear he's a huge part of what they do. It's clear he makes things easier for everybody else on top of everything he does individually. But it's still... You know, at the end of the day, there are awesome players around him too. And they have a great system. They play both ways. 
and they do that whether or not he's on the court. It's a pretty bold take about there being many good players in the NBA, Jay. But, you know, that's why we have you on the show. That's uh, good analysis. Before we get to pick two, I just want to remind the folks out there that this version of Still Potable is brought to you guys by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the best daily fantasy sports platform in North America, and you can now win up to 100 times your money on Prize Picks with as little as four correct picks. You can turn $10 into $1,000 with NBA, NHL, college basketball all those entries you can do those today on prize picks america's number one fantasy sports app we got conference tournaments coming up in uh college basketball i can't think of a better way to watch conference tournaments watch the ncaa tournament throw a little money down with the prize picks have some fun uh it's a really fun way to get involved with prize picks personally with the celtics i'm doing all peyton pritchard over on rebounds the man's a rebounding machine uh, and so if you want to join me, go download the app today. You can use the promo code CLNS for your first deposit, and they will match up to $100. You donate $100, prize picks will give you $100. So download the app today. Use promo code CLNS. That's prize picks. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. You're just going to be hammering Pritchard rebound overs i honestly don't know if that's even available on the prize picks uh but if it is i will be hammering uh he's the best offensive rebounding guard in the league what's the offensive rebound over 1.1.5 right point offensive rebound over i think it has to be 1.5 for pritchard every get every game probably 0.5 you'd be stealing money banging there over every single time he's guaranteed that one (laughs) speaking of peyton pritchard that's where i'm going with my i pick Payne Pritchard and Derek White were on uh, the comedic sports podcast, uh, part of my take. And, you know, those guys, they're a big cat, PFT. They have a lot of fun. They talk to the athletes. I don't want to be mean, but I can't think of two Celtics I would less want to have as podcast guests than those two guys. And I don't want to say it was a dud of an interview, but it wasn't the most fun interview I've ever heard those guys do with an athlete i like the fact that they tried but it was just kind of there was a second layer of funny to me just because it felt like big cat and pft were doing a lot of work trying to bring some whimsy some entertainment to that interview uh and i i don't know if uh fast pp and Derek white came through i don't know did you guys my listen? favorite part was when they were asking pritchard about his college stuff and they were they were asking him about like like quirky funny stuff and he's like yeah but we won a lot so who cares <laughs> <laughs> like, like yeah but we won all the time so what there's some tweets like yeah uh it seems like Payne pritchard has been at oregon forever and he's like yeah i was a four-year starter went to the final four my freshman year that's why you knew me <laughs> like all right peyton like <laughs> chill calm down have a laugh um yeah i just thought it was a, an interesting little uh Interesting two guys to come out and pay, uh, be on the uh, part of my take podcast. And but. the dynamic of them with each other must have been even tougher for the interview interviewers because, like, those are tough guys to get a ton of personality out of in the first place. And then you add on the fact that you're trying to, like, crack both of them at the same time. And it's just, it was tough. Still it was yeah. tough. And they're, like Derek White is, I like interviewing Derek White. I like interviewing Peyton Pritchard, but also, like, they're not the most like whimsical dudes. 
B-Rob, if you had to pick two guys to come on Still Potable, two members of the current Celtics, who are you going with? For the most mm. entertaining podcast. Oh, I mean, Cornette's got to be up there. I think you're going to get like, he's going to bring his stories, entertainment factor. Um, just general, general weirdness from Cornette. Just general, yeah, just, you know, like you go a lot of different directions, basketball wise, non-basketball stuff. Um, I think, and then to me, it's either like, I think Jalen's a really good interview. Like him or Porzingis would probably be my other two. I think Porzingis is a sneaky good interview. Um, he has I don't know if we can a, pick both Cornette and Porzingis and just yeah, yeah. Put two <laughs> you're not going to fit White guys, you can't fit them in. I don't know, Jay. You're around the team a lot. Who would you be your picks? Uh, Tatum. Tatum. Anyone else? Anyone to pair him with? Who do you think would give us the best conversation? I don't think Tatum would uh, be as fun and whimsical as I would. No matter what Tatum said, people would care about it. That's true. So oh, it wouldn't matter what he said wow, on our podcast. People would care about it. And then, th- therefore, they would care about our podcast. So, I would go with Luke Cornett and Sam Hauser. I think we immediately start about talking about Luke Cornett elbowing Sam Hauser so hard in the head that he has a uh, one of the grosser black eyes I've seen. And I think you just take it for, uh, take off from there. I think it would be uh, electric vibes. What you guys? That think? would be that would be a good duo. They, they would work well off each other. I feel like. Um, our guy Matt here kind of I think brings up a good point. Big Cat should have brought up the Blake stuff at the beginning of the interview with Derek and Peyton to loosen him up. Um, well, I, w- I wasn't going to talk about the Blake stuff because I didn't know if someone wanted to use it for uh, right, maybe their well, next pick. This is good. I thought it that is your was pick, B Rob. It is your. Be my pick. All right, so I'm going. Yeah, we're, we're going straight to transition. We're, let's let's cut the drama here. Um, Blake Griffin still are they holding this 15th roster spot till March 1st or April 1st or last day of the regular season for Blake Griffin? That's the question at this point. Based on is he going to be the new PJ there. Brown? Right. Because clearly, if the, the players had a vote here, uh, we know what the players want. And, um, I mean, I guess it'll be interesting to see now the next week is when buyouts have to be finalized uh, on other teams. It doesn't matter. The Celtics don't have to sign anyone. They can sign anyone up until the last day of the regular season. But if you want to get a guy, they have to be off their team by March 1st. So there's a few, you know, semi-intriguing names that could probably lose, like Otto Porter is one of them. There's a couple guys in San Antonio, like Osmond could be interesting. But if not, if it's a bunch of if nothing or those guys just go elsewhere, and it's a young guy, do you take a developmental guy, Packard, or do you go, you just save that spot for Blake and be like, hey, man, it's just get in shape for a couple weeks and then be a nice morale guy for the playoffs. If it's up to me, I'm saving that spot for Blake. But it sounds like Blake has no intention of rejoining the Celtics. If he has all of the Celtics players begging him, um, it doesn't seem like he's that useful for a championship run. But I, for that 15th spot, if that 15th spot comes into the play in the playoffs, you're screwed. Like, there's that, that is a yeah, bad this sign. Is, this is not on court wise. It's strictly a vibes signing. And I think Blake, considering how much the team seems to like him, considering how much the fans, like, Blake was here for one season last year. I think some of the loudest moments in the garden were when Blake would check into a game. The fans love Blake. He's an instant electric factory. And so, I think you bring him in, people will go bananas. I think it's a perfect, like, vibe signing, get everyone a little bit excited as you head to the playoffs. 
I don't know if Blake can be convinced. I don't know. Uh, it really doesn't sound like he wants to come back. But maybe we start chirping him a little bit. Be like, oh, Blake, you never got a ring. Here's your best chance to get a ring. Maybe get in the Hall of Fame. I don't know. There's There could be ways to bully Blake Griffin back onto the Celtics. And also, if it's about his family, like everyone maintains that it is, it's a lot easier to do just like a playoff run or a playoff run plus, you know, a month, whatever that is. Like that's that's a long time to be away from your kids for sure. But also compared to a full season, it's, it's not that bad. And then you'd be able to go home to your kids after maybe with a championship ring. And maybe he takes a charge in a huge, like game three in the Eastern conference semifinals. And we all remember it like 30 seconds left in a blowout. And Dennis Schroeder comes out of the crowd to (laughs) to snap on people over unwritten rules. (laughs) Can you explain to me? I didn't even, I heard, I saw like the clip of the Dennis Schroeder thing. And then I just saw someone talking about the unwritten rules, but I don't really know how they are connected. What was the unwritten rule that was broken that Dennis Schroeder got so upset about? He was mad that they took a shot in the final minute instead of running out the shot clock. So the shot clock was still on, and Mike Conley took a shot with like two seconds left, and there was like a 20-second differential or something like that. Mike Conley, the savvy vet, like, it's not like some young whippersnappers coming in and uh, trying to run up a score. It's like the classiest guy in the league. So Schroeder Schroeder went at Mike Conley, and uh, yeah, Schroeder, obviously it's the second time he's he's had a, at least the second time he's had an unwritten rule beef this year after snapping on the Celtics for their timeout and challenge with while up 27 with three minutes, 12 seconds left or whatever it was. So Dennis Schroeder, enormous protector of the unwritten rules. Who knew? And most likely to to fight a good person after a violation of the unwritten rules. <laughs> so get him and Grant together and sort all these rules out. Um, all right. I guess I'm back up here for pick number four. And I'm going... The the Celtics, as of Saturday night, have moved into the lead uh, for the last 60 years for teams, Celtics teams with the best scoring differential. I'm looking at a guy, Sean Grandy's Twitter here. They're, he's, they're up to 10.3, um, plus 10.3 on the year, narrating, which is uh, just squeaking past the 08 Celtics at 10.26. And so now I'm just straight is up Is that scoring like, margin or net rating? Oh, sorry, it's that scoring margin here, scoring differential. So, so poor work by Grandy, honestly. Net rating is adjusted for possessions, yeah, Grandy. You got to step it up a little bit. I mean, well, we can light them up over that. But now the question <laughs> is, in my mind, like they have to be considered favorites now to be best regular season Celtics team. When you look at the schedule left here, it's going to be tough for them, I guess, with the fact that a lot of these games are going to be irrelevant for them potentially from a standings perspective, but if they want to keep their foot on the gas, and my guess is Joe Mazzulla is going to want to do that for the vast majority of these games, they're in a pretty impressive spot to try to make a run at this, which is... Uh, at I the b- best regular season team ever in Celtics history? Do you think yeah. it's the point that, differential? That's, that's a, high, point that's a high bar. You have to beat the 2008 Celtics and the 1986 Celtics. 2008 Celtics won 66 games, I think. 1986 Celtics won 67 but the the 71 Celtics, I believe it was, might have been the best regular season team in Celtics history. 
that was a Tommy Heinsohn coach team. I believe it had a Havlicek and Cowens, and they won 69 games, and then Havlicek got hurt, or 68 games maybe, and Havlicek got hurt in the playoffs, and they ended up losing, in, I believe, the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, that was the 72-73 Celtics. They lost in actually the conference finals in seven games uh, to the New York Knicks. And Havlicek, I, I think he had to play with just his left because his, his right shoulder got hurt. I could be wrong on that. My uh, my 73 memories are a little <laughs> off. So what do, what does this – I don't think there's anything the Celtics can do. I, obviously, to be remembered as this, they have to win the championship. But I don't think they're like – yeah, they're not going to get to the win total. Just more, I'm just talking strictly point differential here. Like, they're never going to be, no matter what they do, I think, they're not going to be remembered as the best regular season team. I think if they win 70 games, if they don't lose a game the rest of the I mean, year. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they might be able to pull off just with how much scoring they've had and how much three-point shooting. Like, I, they really have changed that differential over the past couple of games. Like, winning by 50 certainly helps that out. I think there's a, a high chance to uh, have some – a lot of blowouts, especially with the amount of games they have left against teams that probably won't be competing. They might be running some guys out there who are not um, necessarily NBA caliber. The Celtics can go on some runs and just really, if it's just point differential, I think they have a, definitely have a chance to be better than the 2018. It's right there. And it's yeah, kind of I that. mean, this is this is almost blasphemy to even discuss this to to bring up like best regular season, even if even if we're just saying net rating. I don't know. I don't know. The numbers are the numbers, Jay. I don't know what I want to tell you. Numbers are numbers. You can't can't argue with numbers. They'd certainly have a chance to have the best net rating or scoring margin or whatever Grandy was tweeting in Celtics franchise history. They'll probably win a lot of games the rest of the way by a lot of points. They have the 28th ranked schedule the rest of the way. They have a lot of cupcakes the rest of the way. But... How do they have such like was their schedule has it been hard so far? How do they have the twenty eighth ranked schedule? Like I under I think, I think they have the sixth hardest schedule so far. I feel like they've handled it pretty well, but that's maybe a you know biased take. Um, that's just wild to me how they have such an easy schedule remaining. Um, and their next ten games are hard. Like they have a hard, really hard stretch coming up still. And so whatever it is, but they, the they still have a lot of games left against like the very worst teams in the league. Right, and that's what it comes down to. Um, and there are a lot of really like the really bad teams are really, really bad. And so that drags down whatever that, you know, the the strength, the schedule percentage, the win percentage that, you know, these the metrics for that front. should but, also beef up the net rating. I'm pulling up their schedule right now. And they, they're going to have a lot of chances to beef up the net rating. They have like, this homestand and then they have a road trip that's like kind of hard. And then the rest of the schedule is pretty much cake. They've got Portland, Washington, Detroit, Detroit, Atlanta, and Atlanta, maybe with no Trey Young. Charlotte, Portland, Charlotte, Washington. Look out. A lot of shitty squadrons. And what are they like, 19 and 1 against teams with a bottom 10 net rating so far this season? They've just been utterly dominant against those teams. So what so, would you guys say? They're maybe people- maybe they're favorites to to have the best best net rating or scoring margin in Celtics franchise history. What do you like taking the numbers out of it as they stand right now? Where are they even a top five best regular season team in 
Celtics are top ten. Like, where would you guys even put them in that? Like, it's it's that it's impossible to answer that honestly without the without the perspective of like what happens the rest of the way, what happens in the future, even because you have to judge those Bill Russell teams, for example, on like all the championships they've won. So it wasn't just about the the one regular season they had. It was just like that team was amazing. We know it because they were a dynasty. We know it because they won it year after year after year. And same thing with like the 86 Celtics. Like that team was loaded with Hall of Famers. They had Hall of Famers everywhere. And part of the reason we know how loaded they were is because we have the perspective of everything else those guys did in their careers. So I don't think we'll be able to properly judge this team until not just what happens this year, but like what happens in Tatum's future, what happens in Jalen's future, what happens right, so in everybody's future. Years, All that stuff to me factors in. Even so, though it's a one season thing, I don't know. No, you're, it's like, yeah, to accurately assess it, you're right. It's like we're, you have to, the test of time will we'll tell the true story here. But as far as gut feel, like what, what do they have? What's their ceiling? They've been dominant. That championship, extremely dominant. What's the expectation right now. I don't like. I don't know. I do. I did not. You know, expect Jay's kind of more philosophical, historical uh, <laughs> approach to take over. But it's I do. Question. I do think that's correct. I think he's just like we can't even. We can't even answer that yet, man. We have to have all of history in perspective before we can weigh in on such a question. So thank you, Jay, for kind of enlightening everyone. That's why we bring you in. <laughs> um, Professor King. If you want more enlightenment, come on, join us here at the Still Potable Patreon, patreon.com slash stillpotable, where you do a podcast Monday through Friday. After every uh, game, we are recording podcasts. A lot of most of the times they have a game on a Friday or Saturday. We're still recording a bonus episodes. We'll be recording podcasts after every single playoff game. Um, so if you want to come check us out Monday through Friday, um, join us on the Still Patreon chat. Um, a lot of a lot of fun stuff bubbling up there. So, uh, patreon.com slash still potable if you want to join us. It is now my pick, pick five, pick two of the second round. And I don't know if we've talked about this yet, but kind of a wild move, I would say. You know, it's all star break. A lot of guys go to uh, Jamaica, Barbados. Jalen Brown went to Puerto Rico. Kind of a crazy move for Joe Missoula to go to Manchester, England to spend his time uh, with Man City during the All-Star break. And personally, I was offended initially. I was like, oh, Joe's just a front runner. He just picked the best Premier League team. Um, But then I was reading Jared Weiss' uh, article today on The Athletic talking about how much Joe's obsessed with Pep Guardiola, who's the coach of uh, Man City. He used to be a coach of Barcelona. And I respect it more. He's just a fan of the coach. He's a fan of greatness. And Pep's clearly the best coach in European soccer right now. And so I thought it was just a cool move by Joe to go and just like learn from the best. And the kind of the quotes from uh, the article in The Athletic, just talking about like how much he learned about like transition basketball from soccer uh, and how to like kind of take take those uh, lessons learned from soccer because it's a, such a more fluid game than basketball. There's like a uh, possession is changing constantly and try to apply that to the Celtics, uh, especially with this group where they do have five guys who are capable. We talked about how well this t- uh, people have played as a team. Um, I just thought it was a cool kind of perspective on how 
one, Joe has gotten more comfortable with himself. Two, how Joe is trying to like kind of manage the the current roster uh, they have, and how kind of this roster with the addition of Chris Tapps, Porzingis, um, not having Robert Williams on the team this year, uh, is kind of allowed Joe to kind of lean into his kind of free flowing style. I don't know if you guys, I don't think either of you guys like European soccer, but I'm presuming you uh, read a little bit about the article. I was just, I just thought it was a cool thing to Joe to do and kind of a wild move to go to Manchester, England uh, during the all-star break. But B Rob, I don't know. Do you have, do you have any Joe Missoula Pep Guardiola takes, or am I just you know, yelling off a ledge here? I mean, I just appreciate how many interests Joe has just off, you know, across multiple we have we all the jujitsu stuff um jay covered that well last year and now like he obviously is a huge soccer guy it sounds like he you know hangs out with a few you know bonds with some of the players in the celtics over that and so yeah i mean great more perspective it sounds like he brought his whole family over there uh for the trip so a little bit of work and play mixed in like all for it jay you're a huge soccer guy your Premier League soccer takes, guy. Do you think Man City has what it takes to, uh, you know, repeat this year? They're going to be on top of the table, or do you think it's more Liverpool's year? But Arsenal's been pretty damn good recently. What's a table? The table is what they call the standings. What? Uh, so th- this is what bothers me about soccer. <laughs> is that people have different words? Is that things people that you- in, in America use this lingo that is Why not- wouldn't I? American like, like, why not just use table? Why not use? I don't know. Is that the you tweeted the other day? Oh, I was wearing my Brighton and Albion kit. It's a jersey packer, you idiot. <laughs> I still haven't broken out the away kit yet. It's called a kit. Why wouldn't I adopt the uh, the it's words that they, that use they use? Like I'm I'm following their sport. Why wouldn't I use their terminology? That'd be weird if they, if like a British Celtics fan just uh, called it a a Celtics kit because he calls it a kit. Like, what you're you're not being logically consistent here. Why? Because that's their term. So I'm referring to their. Why do you have to use their term? Why can't you use your own term? Be your own man. Respect and reverence to the. uh, I would never wear a soccer jersey. Beautiful game. I do watch. I do watch the United States when they're in the uh, World Cup. You don't have any thoughts about Johan Cruyff and Tiki Taka and the beautiful game? Who? You know, famous Dutch coach uh, Johan Cruyff. Cruyff. He's the one who taught Pep. The Pep is the one who taught Joe Mazzula. I mean, I don't think you're doing your job if you don't know who Johan Cruyff is. I know Ted Lasso. If you know Ted Lasso, they they have a whole episode in Amsterdam where they talk about it. You weren't paying attention. No, I, I remember that. I didn't remember the name, but I remember him talking about the beautiful game. And then they they came up with their own little system and started playing Trying team ball. And, yeah, yeah, that's what the Celtics are doing. Well, you know what? I don't well, know if I would... Johan Kroof is the Tex Winter of soccer, is what you would say. Yeah, he's the one who taught Pep. Uh, and when Pep was a player at Barcelona, then Barcelona, he became a coach at Barcelona, and then Pep uh, took that to uh, Man City. But, so would you, you know, say that Joe Mazzula is just trying to coach like Ted Lasso? No, because Ted Lasso is not embracing uncomfortable situations. Although Joe Mazzula has become more of himself, and kind of being yourself is kind of the message of Ted Lasso. So maybe he's being Ted Lasso in that regard, but Ted Lasso is a, a positive, 
like loves positivity where I feel like Joe Missoula will like insult your mother just to see what your reaction is. Yeah, probably. Speaking of uncomfortable situations, I'm going to say my entire pick for this potable six pack was a swing and a miss. And so maybe I'm not going to win this one. Jay, it's on to you. Why was that a swing and a miss? I don't know. I don't feel like you guys were picking up what I was putting down with regards to the soccer talk. I'm just not a soccer guy. It was a it was a great story though. It was a fascinating insight into what what makes Joe Mazzulla tick and how he thinks the game is going and how he wants his team to play. Oh yeah, it would have been cool if you brought up. I just don't like when you call Jersey kids. That's all. Yeah, yeah, I did bring up the article for you to bring up possibly all those cool things you thought about, but instead you just decided to shit on my word choice. Yeah, that's how this podcast goes, man. Do you do you expect me to just? praise you all the time <laughs> i thought i was like setting you up for describing cool things about joe missoula but nope that's on me i gotta be uh i gotta be more like johan cruyff I, I also know i'm butchering that name and so all the weird soccer heads in chat are gonna be like y'all you packer doesn't know footy and you're i don't i've only been a fan for three years but jay you're up final pick in the potable six pack <sighs> this is a tough one this is a tough one. And I don't know. I don't know. I honestly. You've I been did. sitting here for 35 minutes <laughs> knowing that this pick was coming back around. You, I, I was going to pick, I was gonna pick the do, soccer thing. We do have Josh B here if you want to. Should we go to Josh B for question instead of uh, your pick, Jay? What's I was going to pick the soccer thing. Let me just uh, turn on this Bluetooth so that I can play Josh's. Um voicemail he's in here though too would you rather he's in the chat we can just get him live bro but he left he left a voicemail why would you go to the voicemail we could just have him live because he left a voicemail this is how it goes what's packer tell them the number tell them all the number i uh i don't know the number man what do you mean you don't know the number i had it on a sticky note uh with a girl's phone number and then i threw it away because I didn't like that girl anymore and so now I I'll, I'll get the number for you people but first first we'll play Josh's voicemail for the legends just listening to how we have to you know judge this team um by what happens at the end of the year i was wondering if we could judge Derek white to be a better player than Giannis Antetokounmpo considering he's gotten so many more blocks than Giannis you know is he a better defensive player is he just a better weapon than Giannis Antetokounmpo on the defensive end and can i judge that yet or do i have to wait until the end of the playoff thanks guys jb out Wow. The the style of question from Joshua B is elite. He always brings up one point, uses perfectly to pivot into his wild second take. I love it, man. Uh, Yeah. He's incredible at using stats to paint the picture that he wants. And, And in this case, it's that Derek White's a better defender than Giannis just because I think he has one more block. Is that right? Total or blocks per game? I think total blocks. Find find the exact total because I I think it's pretty close. But he does have more blocks than Giannis, which is crazy. 
Derek is White it? is a wild rim protector. Just an insane rim protector. And the Celtics are full of just rim protectors everywhere. And you know what? That's going to be my pick. <laughs> that is going to be my pick. The Celtics rim protection everywhere. They are, and the Knicks game was a another example. Jason Tatum with a crazy block. Kristaps Porzingis just stoned McBride at the rim. Derek White is just every like all these guys. They have so many guys that can impact the rim. Luke Cornett, I think his block rate would be in the top ten for the NBA this season if he had played enough minutes to qualify for the leaderboard. He is just. They have rim protection everywhere. Al Horford coming off the bench. Like, it's crazy to me how many rim protectors they have, how many shot blockers they have, how many people who can impact you on the back line of a defense. And we don't talk – people don't talk about it enough. They just have defensive playmakers everywhere. Their guards can block shots. It's nuts. It really is, and it gives them a layer of defense, and it allows them to play a different way because when you have your point guard who can challenge guys at the rim and force them to miss like Derek White does, and it's not just the blocks. It Opponents shoot a much lower field goal percentage when he's defending at the rim. It's like you can do a lot of things with different rotations. You can do a lot of things when you can trust that even your point guard is going to guard the rim like that. So we're going with that. Oh, Josh has the voicemail number too. He's he really is just a, a legend. So if he you got, want to leave a voicemail like Joshua B, or you want to do a call in live or a live show where we go after the uh, after some of the games, you can call 617-684-5965. That line again, 617-684-5965. B Rob, we ever, we talked about uh, a lot about the Celtics here. Um, but this is first uh, you know, Jay. I think he's planning this all along, you know, end to talking about their defense. As we head into the playoffs, is this kind of the defense that they're playing now? Is it sustainable? Because, like, if I had to – I don't – it's obviously not a weakness for their team, but I also don't know – they've been pretty consistent all year, but I also, for some reason, don't think of this team as, like, a defensive stalwart. What do you think about, like, their defensive kind of scheme heading into the uh, playoffs and – should they fully abandon the two-one-two zone because it's a, a, a doesn't work whatsoever? <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see how selective they are with that. Um, based on history, Packard, their defense has always been at well ahead of their offense in the playoffs, and now I don't expect that to change. Really, I mean, their offense is a lot better this year, but I expect like offense it just gets harder in the playoffs because teams tighten up, teams know what you're trying to do, teams are. Um, you know, paying playing their better players more. And so personnel-wise, the Celtics are, I think, in better shape last year than last year defensively. So I expect them to sustain what they had or even get better on that front. And then it's just a matter of, I think, the only question mark is, and Jay and I kind of talked about this a little bit, I think yesterday was like just the Porzingis wildcard factor of like, how does he hold up um, when the microscope is on him more? Yeah, what happens if teams target him and like, just like we're putting poor Zingas in the action every single time. Does it end up affecting his offense? Does like, I think he's kind of prone to, I don't know if we've seen him getting uh, foul out of a game this year, but I think if he gets in foul trouble in the playoffs, it could have a pretty sizable impact. Jay, is that kind of the biggest defensive concern? Is this like how poor Zingas holds up to a pressure well, test? I, I want to know like why you're, 
worried about their defense. Like what what about their defensive performance caused you to say they're not what'd you say, a defensive stalwart? I am not I, I if I had to pick out a concern offense v defense, I would choose defense mostly because I do think they have some sort of pressure point in drawing Chris Tapps Porzingis out to the perimeter. Make it like if he's gonna play and drop, I think in the playoffs, if you have a good mid-range jump shooter, a la Jimmy Butler, a la Jalen Brunson, that they could have a possible weakness there. But in terms of like general concern, it's not like I'm up at night very concerned about it. I just think there's a pressure point there and they haven't really had to, uh, we haven't really seen a team consistently attack Chris Tapps uh, as they would in a uh, seven game series. And so, okay. So I I have two responses to that one. Would it be smart to consistently attack Chris Tapps who has generally held up extremely well under basically any circumstance? I think if you're consistently playing the Celtics, it's better than going up against a bunch of other guys. I think he's the, in terms of like drawing him out onto the perimeter, I think that's when the Celtics are the weakest on their defense is when Chris Tapps has to guard in space. So the, where I think it could be an issue is like, like you, like you brought up Jimmy, if somehow the heat could, or somebody could isolate Chris Tapps, and either have Dame Lillard to shoot from 30 feet or have a physical driver who is able to get into Chris Tapps' body, draw fouls, create contact, get him out of the game. That That's the issue. Or, you know, if, if it's Embiid, how many minutes are they going to have to play Horford? How many minutes does that mean Chris Tapps is off the court? How many minutes are they not able to play Drew Holiday or Derek White or somebody because they have to go a little bigger? That's the stuff that, like, the little minutiae that could come to get them in the playoffs. Um, I don't think, as far as concerns go, it's a huge one. Like, the seven foot three mobile athlete who b- blocks a lot of shots. And I mean, we're nitpicking here. Well, what's a bigger concern? In the grand what's scheme the of things, concern? that's not like a huge concern, but I do think you're right that teams will try to go at him and see how he handles the the physicality. How will his offense suffer if you're going at him every play? But at the other end, like it's hard to go at Kristaps because the Celtics are very smart about pre-switching and putting him in situations that he can handle. They are putting him in situations rather to maximize him, not necessarily that he can just handle. Um, so it's it's definitely like it's there. I don't know what it will look like at the end of the day at the highest level of competition, but it's going to take a lot for a team to actually pick on him. And, and if he, if someone is able to do it, it'll be interesting to see how he responds, how the Celtics respond, how, uh, how that goes. Cause I do want to see Chris Stapps like in that playoff intensity with this team at this stage of his career, how does he handle all of it? I think he's the type of guy who's kind of built for that. He loves that challenge. He loves the competition. He doesn't seem certainly like somebody who will shy away from any of that. But but there will like teams will try to try to pick at him a little bit in a way that he probably hasn't experienced at least in a long time. I think we're picking nits at this point. I think the Celtics are the best team in basketball. They're up in the Eastern Conference by eight games. 
the rest of the regular season is kind of just to stay healthy and you know what what's the magic number now for clinching the eastern conference i'm struggling to come up with things to be worried about other than just like history of the boston celtics over the recent years you know what's crazy playoffs I, i just found this out today if the celtics play at their current pace the rest of the season it will be mathematically impossible for any team to catch them what do, you, what do you mean? Like if if they play at, if they maintain the same winning percentage through the end of the season, Cleveland could go undefeated the rest of the way and still not catch them. That's kind of wild. That's pretty nuts. So what's what's there like twenty five games left? Twenty four? Yeah, twenty five games left. Yeah. So that's that's what an eight game lead will do for you. You shrink that window to catch up. Regardless. Eight games is crazy <laughs> at this point. Like, is that's yeah. it? Just doesn't feel normal. If like when the teams are normally that more dominant in the standings, like they're the prohibitive, just like favorite to win the at least that conference, and if not the finals. Like, it, it just feels like that lead ballooned up out of nowhere. And having the Cavs won like fifteen of their last eighteen games, like how is this? They dropped. This a, they dropped a couple. Yeah, lost a couple, and. They stunk for a little bit to start the season, and the Celtics haven't. The Celtics haven't lost what more than two games in a row all year. So, it's, yeah, and uh, everyone else is kind of dope. Like the the Sixers were somewhat close until the Embiid stuff happened, and then have just fallen off a cliff since then. Right. The the Knicks the were like on a roll, and then ran into a, a ton of injury issues, which may never get better. At least some of them, we'll see. The Cavs, like you said, that just had a bad stretch. The Bucks. They've been trying to figure it out forever. Might be starting to, who knows? But Jerry's out there. But yeah, the Celtics have been by far the most consistent team in the Eastern Conference. And they I- will continue to do that as we finish out the final third of the season. We at Still Potable will be here with you to talk about everything. We'll be after the game on Tuesday against the Sixers. We'll probably do a bonus podcast after the game on Friday against the Mavericks because the Mavericks are red hot, and that's always a fun game against Luka Doncic. And so if you want to be part of the Still Potable family, go to patreon.com slash stillpotable. Subscribe today, and you can get podcasts every day, Monday through Friday. If you only want a little bit of Still Potable, we still got you. You can get a Tuesday, Thursday option. Uh, There's a bunch of different options there over on the Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash stillpotable. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in on the YouTube, for watching us on CLNS. This episode's uh, brought to you by Prize Picks. Again, that promo code is CLNS. You can get up to $100 deposit match. Uh, For B-Rob of MassLive.com, for Jay King from The Athletic, thank you guys for tuning in to this free episode of Still Potable.